If you enjoy the Filmmakers Podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. The Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to episode 279 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films to TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. I am Giles Alderson, and I am absolutely thrilled to be joined this week by not one guest, not two guests, but three amazing guests. Uh, they are the team behind the smash hit host and the brand new amazing film Dashcam. They are the fantastic Gemma Hurley, Jed Shepard and Rob Savage. And because Rob is at the moment editing Boogeyman, the huge new movie, he is in America and Jed and Gemma are in the UK. So we couldn't get them on at the same time. So what we've done for you is we've split Jed and Gemma in two, not literally, not like one of the horror films, <laughs> but we've got Jed and Gemma first and then we've slid Rob in between and then we come back to Jed and Gemma again. So in this first part with Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepard, the writers and exec producers of Dashcam, we talk about life after the success of Host, pitching Dashcam, working with Blumhouse, how they came up with the many ideas for Dashcam, and the pressure of doing another successful film. So that is coming up for you very soon. And then Rob Savage, the director of Host and Dashcam after them. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It does mean the world to me. And for those of you I met in Cannes, and I will do a Cannes wrap up very soon, but I'm in the middle of a job in the moment in Bath and going up to Edinburgh, so I haven't got much time to go into it. But you guys are amazing. You really are. I love the support you give this podcast. I love people, you know, being so nice about this. And, and I love that we can help in any way. It means the world. And I really hope it inspires you as much as you say it does. So thank you. Thank you for all the love for the Stephen Fry episode. Amazing man that he is. And last week's episode with Josh Agnew, the directing masterclass. If you've not heard those yet, do click the link. And our Patreon episodes as well. We're doing specials. We're doing little clips stuff that isn't in the main episode and you can support this podcast by going there link to that is in the show notes but you will find that uh, if you search patreon the filmmakers podcast and on this week's we do have more from Jed and Gemma and they talk about why I love Can and Jed doesn't. <laughs> we talk more about the collaboration with Blumhouse and the future plans of the host and Dashcam team. That is on our Patreon. It is a bonus. Do check it out. There's so much others on there for you. I won't go on about that for now because I want to get to this week's episode because it's so cool. So sit back, relax and enjoy the first part of our chat with screenwriters Jed Shepard and Gemma Hurley and myself. Enjoy. Hiya. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you guys? We are good. We are good. Yeah. Yeah. Very curious to see how people respond to Dashcam in a week or so. I know. I can't believe it's coming out so soon because you shot it pretty soon after Host came out, right? It wasn't long after. Christmas 2020. Yeah. So it's quite, it feels like quite a long time, right? It must do mm. for you. It's like another world almost, yeah. right? It's crazy. And still people are talking about it so much because it was such a cultural phenomenon. It really like blew up, which was just super amazing. And obviously this is your third time being on the podcast as guests. Yeah. Uh, it's to be honest, I think that's a record. Um, <laughs> like I say, after the host came out and the success, it was suddenly like, Everyone was going, what else have you got, right? And suddenly Blumhouse come calling, which again, mm -hmm. just sounds so amazing rather oh, yeah. than, do you know what I mean? Blumhouse came calling or whatever. You know, tell, tell us a bit about how that happened. And so our audience understand after the success of it at Indie, you know, and it was real Indie um, with Host. Talk us through your processes of what happened. I know we've talked about this a bit before, but now you've had a bit of time to step away and we can talk about Dashcam properly. I mean, for me, I mean, obviously these guys have been, Dashcam is a project that's been on the back burner for a while that they've been longing to do. And when Host 
people responded it so well. It was like an opportunity to do this like crazy project that everyone was a little bit too like, oh, I don't know. It's a little bit too scary um, and risky to do. Our lives are just like I can't even remember like 2020 when we were doing host. Everything is so so different. Like the fact that we we as you say like. Um, Blumhouse just want to do this crazy movie with us. It was just such a, a million miles away from where we started before the pandemic happened. It, it's just kind of nutty. So this is all the fact that movies coming out next week in cinemas. Um, it just feels like it's still a bit of a dream. Like it's not really quite happening. Um, at some point, hopefully, it'll feel real. But yeah, it's just it's just. I mean, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> what happens hopefully oh it's gonna do really well believe me this film is brilliant it's bonkersly brilliant uh it's just a, a delight so. to watch i've really really enjoyed it Thank like you. it's so much fun um so many cool tropes in there so many cool bits for the fans but yeah. just your voices <laughs> on there and the batshit craziness of using someone like annie hardy as well who's this wonderfully unlikable but then weirdly i kind of really liked her i was like yeah. no no I, I, it was just this mental confusing wonderful world and i was like that's a really brave choice to use someone who is you know her features are literally if she was around your house you'd be like oh please please can you just fuck off for a bit and, and the <laughs> fact that she just you know just devours this world and comes straight in and does what she does is really cool and brave from your side and let's come back to her in a minute in terms of that moment of like the Blumhouse call in and the, the suddenly after the host and here we go what else have you got type thing and I know you had it bubbling in the back of your mind so did you pitch this with other things Jed was this like you guys went in and went actually here's a load of ideas we've been thinking about for a while what should we do well um I've known Annie for probably about eight years maybe longer and um she she does burn car for real this is a real thing she's been doing for 10 years right so um and I was friends with her and I was I was staying over at her house which you see in the in in the film um because it, I was at Sundance and I needed someone to stay in LA so I stayed with Annie and I was, I actually did the band car thing with her. I was next to her doing the beats while she was rapping. And I was like, Annie, this would make a great movie. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause she's had those kind of offers before with other, she's been famous since the mid 2000s. And um, so I pitched it to Rob. I was like, Rob, you need to check out these videos. You need to check out band car. It's cool. We can do something here. So we, we put it all together into, um, into a package that we pitched around. It was just really dust cam that we pitched around to studios and other places who were interested in, in our stuff. And um Everyone was just like, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> do you have anything else? So it's just like, no, but we really want to do this. Like, do you have anything else? So when, as you said, after after host, um, I, I think there was an air of invincibility a little mm -hmm. bit. Maybe that was misguided, but like we had this um, air of invincibility. So we, so we thought, okay, we'll never get to do this film again. Yeah. Let's do it. And now we have the addition of Gemma on, on board. We thought, okay, we, we can really make a make a good go of this. And it was just in that period between like August and like October where we was just like, we could we could do something. We we can move the genre to to a different level. We can we can raise the bar for British horror. We can do something interesting in the found footage subgenre. And um we definitely did that. Yeah, hundred percent. It's really like how far can we push it? Like how what can we get away with? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and with, was was like Blumhouse open to that straight away? Was it kind of like, look, guys, we, we love what you've done here. Sure, go for it. What, what was the process like of that? Did you have to convince? Did you have to, how did you pitch it? How did you get them totally on side to go, all right, here's some money, go shoot that. Because, you know, because well, yeah. the budget had gone up a bit from host as well. So therefore, yeah. suddenly it's like, you know, you're talking a bit more money here. This is almost like a rub question because he was more involved in, in the negotiation side of things. but. Essentially, it was you made the, the most talked about movie of the year. It, it, out of nothing, it just became the biggest horror film of 2020. So Blumhouse, who are usually the, the studio that f usually finds these people before mm -hmm. they make their big hit. They're pissed off now. Yeah. <laughs> they were just like, but I, I will tell you, it wasn't just Blumhouse who, who, who came after us. It was 
pretty much everyone, like every everyone you can think of. And it was just like, who would give us the, the better deal? Yeah. So obviously Blumhouse, they're the, the, the kings of kind of independent horror. So mm. I think it was easy. And because of hosts, they trusted us to do what we want. And they trusted Rob to deliver a film that was exciting, original, and again, raise the bar for, for fan footage horror. It's wonderfully original. Like I say, it's, I've not seen anything like this. And it, at first, when it was called Dashcam, I thought it would stay, you know, that way. And we're seeing mm-hmm. everything. And no, 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 it doesn't. And it goes off on these <laughs> wonderful tangents and these wonderful little roots. And yeah, it's thoroughly entertaining. Reading the comments and going, shall I read what's going to happen? Your eyes go everywhere. You're constantly waiting for stuff to happen. And the fact that it, it, that's not a spoiler to say it drops off their um, sort of internet where she's uh, streaming live drops off and i love that as a trope talk us through things like coming up with ideas like that and how you piece this together as writers and creatives all of you to sort of go okay let's chuck some ideas in how does this work how does that work talk us through that when it became a real reality that you could be doing this i mean look that's i mean that's such a a really good question i'm curious actually um to ask how you felt when those um comments dropped out because in the um in the development of it, it was like, you know, yes, we want everyone to feel like they're in a roller coaster ride they can't get out of, and you've no idea what's around the corner. It's very disorientating, you know, being flung about in the dark essentially with things coming at you. Mm-hmm. And then there's this moment in the film, I went, you know, obviously, no spoilers, why it happens, why the connection drops out, etc. And for us, that was like we needed. Uh, you know, we, we break a lot of rules in this film. Don't get me wrong. It's not structured in any kind of traditional way. But there was a moment in the film where it's like, we need to have some sort of silence and isolation. And like the feeling like, you know, because you, you you feel you're watching a live stream show, right? You are one of the people kind of implicitly messaging that comes up on the live stream. And then you're kind of cut off and apart from that. And we wanted to have that sense of you are sort of, there's danger here and there's loneliness here suddenly, and you're not quite as connected and to try and see that, how that would affect an audience as well. You know, so um, that was kind of what we were going through for that. But how do we, how do we develop this show, Jeb? Like it was literally just like, what can we come up with? That's just going to like fuck with an audience. Like, Mm. because Annie is a provocateur, right? You know, yes. in her in real life. And obviously this is a much more extreme, um, not very complimentary, not, you know, twisted version of who she really is. It's not her. It's not real. I imagine so. Yes, absolutely. But like, we also felt like, well, therefore the film should be provocative. Therefore the film should be like, we're trolling the audience. And, and we were trying to troll each other in like the uh, writer's room as well. Like trying to like, you know, and it was that kind of process for the whole way, like making each other laugh, making each other it's like minds just go like, what, what the hell? Like, can we do this? Um, yeah, that's kind of how it came about. Again, I think with with the, the best kind of found footage films are the ones where you start with the the person, and to, and found footage films are, are are the best for me because they're authentic. So you need to keep an air of authenticity about everything mm. you do, um, and that means letting the person that you've built this film around have the space to you know move. So um, again, there's a, there's a lot of improv, a lot, a like host, but it's within these guidelines that we 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 set for for Annie, and because I've known her for such a long time, it, it's kind of easy for me to kind of pitch things that I know Annie would most likely do. And then maybe we could subvert that as well. But I, I, I think the fact that we had someone who was so up for making fun of themselves made it easy for us. And also we had her her co-star, Amma, who plays Stretch. He is really good at improv as well. He's really just putting them together. When, when we did some tests before we started filming, uh, some chemis- chemistry tests, which, which was... <laughs> which was putting them in, in, in a Zoom together to try and make music. And, and, and we did, well, I think we did like an online escape room with, with all yes. of them, didn't we? Oh, like, we did. And like, well, Annie, <laughs> Annie was just, Annie was not interested in this escape room. No, but that was what was interesting yeah. about it. Because it kind of made us realise like Annie Hardy is not someone who's interested in like finding out the mythology of like a creature. Like, because that's, I mean, I'm not, ugh, spoilers. Um, but uh, that out I'll, beep the, I'll beep it. I'll do that. I'll do a beep over it. <laughs> you can see in the trailer. It's in the trailer, I think. Oh, it, yeah, fair enough. She's not interested in that. She's just interested in whatever she's interested in. And it's not mm. necessarily what like the rest of the audience is. And that's what's really interesting about like seeing a horror film through the perspective of a quite an unusual character mm. well i thought it was brilliantly brave and you mentioned there about how i felt about the comments at the side disappearing 
I loved that. I thought it was such a great, brave move because it would have been easy to keep them going. What's going on? Fuck it. And the numbers to keep going up and up and up. And the fact that it dropped, I, I loved it because therefore it's real. It felt, yeah. I, I, but again, brave because you didn't have to do that. I thought that was excellent. It just narrative-wise, we needed it to drop drop out when something spooky happened, just so <laughs> someone doesn't call the police. Of course, <laughs> because people would. They'd go, we know where you are. We can find your pin location with each because uh, Stretch turns yeah. up at one point and says, oh, I know where you were because of this. Exactly. So therefore, but it was a clever technique that made us feel, oh, oh we're alone now with this. So all that thing, that for me, was just added to the wonderful, I can't wait for it to come back for the people to not know what we knew. Yeah. <laughs> that felt special. Sure. And it always came back just after like something spooky happens, yeah. Which was great. I really liked what you're talking there about the found footage side of things and, and understanding that audience and doing something different. And I think what Annie brings to that is that you'd never expect this from a found footage movie. And that's why it's really cool. Do you mind just telling people what the film is about, even though we've kind of talked about and I'll drop the trailer in. So uh, Dashcam is about a online provocateur called Annie Hardy, who does a daily show called Band Car from a moving vehicle, where she raps, um, people comment and, and do one word uh, uh, kind of suggestions of what she should rap about. And she raps as she drives through LA. But she wants to get away from LA because of uh, COVID and all the stuff that's happening there and all the craziness. So she comes to see her old friend Stretch in the UK, who she used to tour with in the band about 10 years ago. And uh, she unfortunately messes with Stretch's life a little bit too much, steals his car and ends up in a predicament that none of us would want to be in. Hi, I'm Annie Hardy, and you're watching Band Car. Another day in paradise. Hello? Listen, I just need you to take my friend somewhere nearby. This is Angela, her and I, taking a trip. <laughs> Did you find me? Oh. You should go see if she's alive. Hello? Hello? <laughs> she found us! She's here! What? Ah! Oh. Hey, what was that? Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what the f***? Look at you doing? Where are you going? I'm trying to do it without spoilers. Yeah, it's like, that's really difficult. I'm like, ooh, already spoilers, Jet. Yeah, how do you pitch this film without doing spoilers? You can't. You have to do what you said, which is just mm. the opening of these, you know, it's almost Annie going on a trip. Which is kind of wonderful. Well, I think the, the, the beauty of fan search films is you don't really need to sell it. You just need to know the basics. And then, like for the Blair Witch Project, like it's just a bunch of students trying to find a witch for their school project. That's right. kind of it. And like, mm. and, pe and people are just like, oh, that sounds a bit bit boring. But when you watch it, it's like, it's the best fan footage film ever. Mm. Did you feel a bit of pressure? And this is interesting for filmmakers once they've had a bit of success and that sort of like, oh gosh. Second album kind of thing. Second yeah. album, people are knocking on your door and sort of going, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh shit. Now we've got a, you repeat the success. How hard's that going to be? I mean, I don't know about you, Jeb. For me, it was like, I felt like with Host, we got away with something in terms of like, we made that film. It took us like two weeks to write. And then it was such a joyous bonus that none of us ever saw coming. So a dash cam, it was like, well, like, let's just keep going and like, just keep going until someone tells us to stop. <laughs> Basically, you know, it's just like how, let's just, let's just have fun and do stuff that makes us laugh and makes us like feel uncomfortable and weird and just, and not, really try and do what we think people want from us basically yeah or expect yeah so, so you can you've definitely done that were you in like saying those meetings literally doing that what talk us through that creative process then because you know from how you work uh, from what i gather uh, again correct me if i'm wrong uh, is that you're all kind of 
in a room together or in the Zooms together and you're all chucking ideas in what will work, what won't work. Talk us through the process of writing and creating this. So with Host, we worked off a Google Doc. It, like the, the scariest one of all time, we, we made it on a, on a Google Doc. <laughs> because I'll tell you why, because at the time, Final Draft didn't have a good collab feature at the time. At the time, it does yeah. now. Since Host, Final Draft 12, um, the collab <laughs> feature was is much, much, much better, even though for some reason, Gemma and Rob had the worst internet of all time. Yeah, I can't can't blame Final Draft for that. <laughs> no, no, that's not Final Draft. For. Sponsored by Final Draft. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's it's just as you say. It's, it's it feels like one of those old kind of Saturday Night Live kind of like writers' dreams where you're just pitching crazy ideas. Like, what about this? What about this? The shit that didn't make it into this film, Matt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to hear that. Do you know what was exciting for me? Because during host. It was really me and Rob pitching crazy ideas, and Gemma was like, "Oh, well, maybe this needs to be dialed down a little bit and, and go more towards the heart." But in in this one, it, Gemma was coming out with stuff where me and Rob was like, well, "Gemma, that's too far." Like, <laughs> <laughs> no that's, way. That, that's too much, Gemma. What, what, what have we done? What's happened to Gemma? Yeah, yeah. You, you broke me, guys. You broke me. I know, but no, like it, it's it's great. And, and when everyone's singing from the same same hymn sheet, it can, it comes so naturally. It comes mm. so naturally, and again because of host and because we we already knew that what we were doing was something special and the, the team we have around us the cast um they're all again friends so it, it just makes it really special when, when you when you work with with friends and again i don't want to spoil anything but there are some familiar faces in in dashcam too and familiar voices as well yes yeah and a couple of people doing this as well but anyway we'll uh, we'll come back to that <laughs> So that was the end of the first part of this podcast. Now we're going on to part two with the director, Rob Savage. I've been trying to get Rob on the podcast for a while, but he's been so busy, like really busy. The next big horror director. To be honest, this is the next big horror team. Empire Magazine said so very recently, and it's so true. So myself and Rob managed to find time from his busy schedule, and we had a chat about how he went from making host to dash cam those expectations, what they were like for him. Prepping and directing something as crazy and out there as Dashcam, how he did it, you know, especially when he's hiding cameras, when he's working with actors that way, when he's often not with them. What it was like directing the actors, the SFX and the VFX of this. We also talk a little bit about his next film, Boogeyman, the big studio movie, and tips on talking to studios and pitching. So here it is. Here's my chat with the rather lovely and the rather clever Rob Savage. Hey, mate. Hey, mate. How you doing? Good. I loved Dashcam a lot. And I really liked Host a lot. And this stepped it up even further. You just took it to another level. And I, I found that fascinating because obviously it's really hard to follow up Host. How did you go about that then? Did, you, did it even cross your mind that this was a thing that you go, oh gosh, people are expecting something like Host to, you know what I mean? How did you go, okay, let's think outside the box here? I mean, the interesting thing is that we we actually shot this really soon after Host. We shot this the same year as Host in 2020. We shot this winter 2020. And the idea was to just get something out as fast as possible, to do the, to do the next thing and to make something that, was tot- that would totally piss off anyone who loved Host, would be totally um, shocked at the next thing that we do. We just wanted to kind of almost say, you know, we, if you want to follow the host team and, and our filmmaking pursuits, you're going to get all sorts. It's not just going to be host. We're not going to try it. We're not even going to try and touch that specific brand of horror that we did with host. We want to do something that's much more akin to like a kind of um, a big bloated over the top 80s sequel. That's what I always saw this as. Like I saw this as like Evil Dead 2 to hosts Evil Dead or like mm. that I was always referencing was Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 which is like in all the ways that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is kind of subtle and bloodless. And not that it's a subtle movie, but it's bloodless and artful. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is like big and loud and like has this this amazing streak of comedy in it. So we just wanted to do something totally different and just make the most of lockdown being over. And we wanted to do something that was sprawling and uh, and had a lot of locations that we were able to... we were, we we could kind of show people what this team, because it's all the same team as host, mm. we wanted to show them what they could do in the same room together, in the same space, putting our heads together to make something with, you know, marginally more money. It's Blumhouse. So we we had, you know, we had a bit more money, but it was still very low budget movie. And Dashcam was the result. Well, there's so many cool moments I, that really stood out for me. How do you go about directing something like this? Because it's, like I say, with host, we, we got it. Shooting the iPhones, you know, on, on with, with the laptops. Great. 
yeah, I can see I could put that together, see I could do it remotely. Here, you're not. You're doing this as a proper film. Now, I know that you shot on iPhones as well, which is a testament to you. Cool as fuck. But this is bigger. You know, there's some amazing stunts in this, some amazing set pieces. How do you plan making a movie like this? You know, like you're doing Boogeyman at the moment, right? Oh, the Boogeyman. Did you do it in a similar way? Because I know that you're all creatively just you know finding ideas seeing what worked talk us through your process as a director on this and your uh, like storyboarding or how you thought how am i going to piece this together in the edit it was really essential on this one that we shot for the edit because it's meant to be a continuous live stream so mm -hmm. didn't have the kind of coverage as we did on host you know there's like five characters in host with five separate shots you can always cut to you know if something's not working you cut to Radina reacting and then you cut back, you know, and, and uh, we had a safety. Whereas here, so much of this was predicated on the idea that it was a continuous take and this action was unfolding in real time. So every single, every single hidden cut had to be just right. It had to not feel like we were hiding lots of cuts because, you know, every time you do a stunt, you've got to set it up, get it right, make sure everyone's okay, move on. You can't just carry on down the road and carry on shooting for five minutes after somebody's you know, set themselves on fire. So you've got to find all these hidden cut points. It was two kind of two kind of things that worried me. It was about it was just the, the technicality of it, like making it making it play in a way that didn't feel like you were watching a bunch of hidden cuts because it's always awful when that happens. Mm. Uh, you, you may as well cut because you can feel you can feel those hidden edits. And then secondly, it was like we're locking ourselves into a certain rhythm for each of these scenes. So you've got to really make sure that the pace of it, you know, if a shot feels long. And you don't have anything to cut to. You've just got to sit on the shot that feels long. It's like, it's the worst feeling when you're in the edit and you've got no way out. I storyboarded everything. I did lots of squiggles. I do it on everything. I did it on host. I did it on this. I fill notebooks and notebooks and notebooks full of ideas. I'm always just scribbling things down. Even while we're shooting, I'm writing ideas because we'll, we'll be, I'll be watching a take and the actor will do something that'll give me an idea. I'll write that down, plan how to integrate it. So I'm always trying to build the movie in my head and in my notebooks. Then once I got a pretty solid idea, I got a couple of the girls from Host actually, I got, I got Emma and Haley from Host to come down to our office where we were prepping and we shot a bunch of the movie in the car park. Me kind of operating the cameras, you know, making sure that all the hidden cuts worked. Then I cut it together and I watched it and I was like, oh, it's dragging here. I need another shot here. This shot we can cut out. And so a lot of the big set pieces we'd planned in advance and kind of made sure the pace felt okay because... Uh, huge sections of it um, a player's continuous takes and i love that and i love the fact that you did it as a live stream like the audience uh, are watching it with you like they would on youtube or whatever and it's live uh, i was talking to jed and jerem about how it went off you know what i mean the the fact that sometimes the connection went down i thought that was genius just really enjoyed the fact that you didn't have that continuous over there people writing comments at the side because our eyes would then go to that yes. and i love the fact that when we came they came back on and this isn't a spoiler in any way that they didn't know what had happened and we did it's fact that we knew a secret that was cool i know you probably did it for various reasons to get out of a hole or to to save you know but because everyone would say call the police or whatever but it's too busy to have you know at some moments you want to have the option to to look at the comments and see see what they're talking about and you can you kind of like check in and out with them as the film goes on but some moments you wanted absolute crystal focus on what was going on in front of us and especially when you're building a scare you want to know where the audience's eyes are. It's half mm. of your, you know, it's, it's half of the, your, your uh, toolbox as a director is like knowing and directing the audience's eyes. So we had to get rid of the comments for certain, certain moments just to make the audience pay attention, to make the audience feel like they were really alone with these characters. So that we really got a sense of the silence and that isolation when the character was, was without these, um, this kind of Greek chorus of voices. And let's talk about the characters then, because Annie Hardy obviously is a heightened version of, uh, you know, uh, of this character. But then Angela, you know, wow. I mean, it was almost like she was just incredible. How did you get the performance from that and to keep that? Because that was, I imagine you're doing quite a lot of takes and performance after performance. And yeah, it's, it looks so real and natural. How did you work with that? And how did you find her? I mean, Angela, I was... Uh... I was getting a beer with another director friend of mine in the in the break between lockdowns one and two, and and I was bemoaning the fact that I couldn't find somebody to play this Angela role. I mean, she wasn't called Angela then; she's just an old woman. Because we needed somebody who felt very frail and somebody who your instinct would be to protect, but then who could also do a lot of these stunts for real, or could like actually get involved in the physical aspect of making this movie. Because I didn't want to do CGI and I didn't want to have an obvious stunt double. And so my friend was like 
was like, oh, there's actually this woman who lives in the same building as me. She's a Pilates instructor. And uh, she's just cool, you know. She's a cool, um, she's a cool person, and I think she's got a, she's got a striking look. And he showed me a picture of her, and I thought she looked incredible. I knew she could look amazing on camera. It's good that you know because she's a Pilates instructor, it meant that she's got good kind of physical strength. And so I went again. I took uh, Haley from Host to help me audition her. We went over, we tested, we did all the PPE and all that. We went over to her house, got Angela to jump around and be a demon for for an hour and a half. Wow. And just improvised various things with her to see how she was in the moment, how she took direction, how natural she was, and she was she was just incredibly um, present and hardworking. And she's she's one of these people who like she's very hard on herself. You know, she wants to do something, she wants to do it, she wants to leave every day knowing she's done the best job she possibly can, which is the same same way that I am. So I, I totally clicked with that because she's a Pilates instructor. She's very in tune with her body. And so I could give her these very specific physical directions um, or, t you know, if there was a certain thing that need, she needed to access. She, it was, it was very available to her. She ended up doing way more of her stunts than we ever planned for, you know, she levitates down from trees. She's underwater. She's in all, all of these things. It's the real, it's the real Angela for the most part. That's brilliant, mate. Well done. I love that. that Because you could have got an actor to do that, right? Or maybe a stunt person. To do. I love that you found someone as a Pilates, you know, and and because to get that physicality of someone who you want, it's brave and it sells, mate. It's brilliant. It's really cool. Let's talk about the VFX, uh, well, the SFX side of stuff, because like you mentioned there with going underwater and coming down from trees and there was so much more in this movie than I thought there was going to be, you know, in terms of this brilliant action side. Uh, I've worked with Mike Knight uh, on my war film and he is, like say, he loves this stuff. He loves blowing shit up and having fun. How did you find that experience and did you continue, did you exaggerate what he could potentially do and go further? How did you make that work? Because it's really, really well done. It would change day by day on this, on this movie, you know, as we... Same with host, like we had this outline that was that was a jumping off point. But every time something worked or went well, we try and we try and learn a lesson from it, you know, or something didn't work, we'd learn a lesson and we change the plan for next week, or we'd say, Well, this this stunt worked really well. What if we tried something similar in the in next week's scene? And the same thing was true of of Mike Knights and his SFX. He's so full of ideas of how to destroy things and blow things up and set things on fire. The first part of making this movie was just talking to to people like Mike Knights and Dan Martin, who did our um mm. gore effects and and saying like, look, tell, you tell me what you can do. You tell me the coolest thing you can do. We've got this much money. This is the setup. We're in a car. We're in a field. We're whatever. Just throw ideas at me. I'll take you know. I'll take a good idea from anywhere. And so Mike was constantly sending me videos of think various crashes and stunts and things blowing up. He loves doing that. <laughs> and then on the day, he'd he'd sometimes he'd turn up in the morning. He'd be like, you know, I was thinking. We sure we can explode this car, you know, like this. But what if it flipped over, you know? Because I've got this thing, and you know, and then you just movie it was, it was amazing to have that kind of sense of play yeah totally and it seems you've got that in all your work even from your shorts uh, and the the work you've done up until now and that collaboration is it the same when you're going into the boogeyman are you doing the same sort of collaboration that you had with with jed and Gemma and mike and the team that you've worked with quite a lot how was it different for you going from that to something like the boogeyman which is you know obviously essentially a much bigger budget it's kind of the same i mean it's like you know when you go on to do something bigger. It was the same when I did my first TV pilot and all this kind of stuff. It's like, you assume that you don't know, you, you assume that everyone else who's been working on these bigger budgets for, for, for a long time, you assume that they know, you assume that they know everything that you don't and that, that everything that you've, you've learned and all the wisdom you've accrued from doing your low budget stuff won't translate. And then, uh, you know, very, in very quick order, you find out that that stuff actually is exactly the same. Like it's, um, you're still collaborating with all these people who have, um, such specific care and love for what they do. I say this, you know, I used to teach, I used to teach film at the BFI. And the thing that I would always say to the students is like, your job as director isn't to say, this is my vision and we're sticking to it. And it has to be exactly like it is in my head. Your job as director is to know what is your movie and what isn't your movie. And then it opens you up to, you can, you can invite feedback from, from, anyone and even if it's a good idea it might not fit with your view of the movie it might be you know it might feel like it's too comedic or it's too serious or whatever like you've got to know the movie the, the feel of your movie and then you should really open yourself up to taking ideas from anywhere you should ask people like you know have you got anything what do you think should happen in this scene what do you feel about the character in this moment and um they might have an opinion that makes you actually 
go the opposite way and go, no, actually, I think, I think you're wrong for X, Y, Z, or this is why I want to go a different way. But I, I know a lot of young filmmakers who are very protective and I think mm. it damages the work. I think you've got to be confident enough in your own vision to, um, to invite others to participate. Totally. If you've done the homework, if you've done, like you say, all your storyboards or your shot lists and you've chatted through your DP so much and gone through it the night before and even the morning, when you arrive on set, light could be different, actors doing so. So you've got to open your mind to do something different, find new stuff. And it seems like you're brilliant at that, which is really, really great. That's what's the most fun for me. And I, I really mm. think you have fun working with the people who you're making the movie with. It ends up like in the DNA of the thing, you know, Dash mm. Cam and Bruce were both a blast to make. So was Boogeyman. And I think you can feel that kind of warmth in the, in, in the, the fabric of those movies. Yeah. What about the editing side then? Because it's on a movie like this, it's so important that you get the edit, you know, to a strong place. How did you find it when you first came back when you on Dashcam, when you'd got, you know, all your bits and pieces and maybe there's a rough edit and you first saw it, talk us through the process there. And you thought, okay, cause I, I'm pretty sure you went back and did some pickups as far as I know, talk us through that process and what your mind was thinking about what you need. Cause it's, I think it's gonna be really interesting for our filmmakers listening. I think the thing with these movies like host and Dashcam, where you're really kind of like every day you'll have a bit of paper that says, you know, the characters get attacked by a demon. And that's like all, that's all the information that's there. It's like you're shooting off a treatment rather than a script. So all the individual beats aren't laid out for you in the same way that they would be in a script. You've got, I, I come prepared with my storyboards and scribbles, but they change as soon as the actors do something that's more interesting. Really, you're kind of so, you're leaning forward so much every day and you're trying to like, you're trying to crack the scenes day by day by day and just just be present that really it's, it's, it's hard on, especially on these improvised movies, to keep a picture of the whole film in your, in your head. So I, you know, I knew that Brenna, who cut host and is just like a genius, I knew that she was, keeping she was kind of keeping on top of that and i ch i chat to her every day and she'd kind of she'd have a much greater sense of what the film was than i did and then when you see that first assembly you realize what the film is and what the film isn't and you realize what the film you know you sometimes you realize that the film is a certain thing but it's kind of like it's only it's only 80% of the way there you know we realized that this film really had an engine to it and that it it, it worked better when it was just moving deliriously fast and kind of matched the um the pace of Annie's brain and thought process. There are a few moments where some of the some of the set pieces, some of the effects felt slightly lackluster because of what they were surrounded by. They had, you know, we we wanted to go back and hone certain scares. There were certain moments where, like we, like I said before, we shot it in a continuous take and just the pace of it, the rhythm of it didn't feel right. So I wanted to go and just a little jigsaw piece of of a, of a shot. I'd want to go back and put something else in. But really, it was it was getting a sense of what what was working and then dialing that up. Dashcam is out on June the 3rd. Everyone, please go watch it in the cinema. Um, but let's talk about that sort of pitching moment when you're moving up, you're moving, like say you're now going into the big leagues, you're talking to studios, Blumhouse moment, but even now on, with the Boogeyman, how about when your, your Dashcam hasn't come out yet, you know, host has done well, but you're going into meetings. What tips did you learn that worked for you and that didn't work for you? Is there anything there that you think would be really useful advice? Uh, speak, you may as well speak with certainty because nobody's certain of anything, you know? So I think you, you, you've got to like have a bit of a snake oil salesman vibe about you. I think if you go in, people love, well, certainly uh, my experience has been like, people love when you go into a room and tell them everything that's wrong with their project and, and say, I like, because people, you know, as a director, people look to you as the person with the answers and they might not always be the right answers. But if you go in and you're like, well, this part of the script doesn't work, obviously what you need to do is this. And then, you know, you might try that. It might not be the thing, but if you walk the room with that, with that confidence, I say, it's, I say, it's all, I say it's all subjective. It is and it isn't. You've got to, you've got to know, you've got to know the genre. And specifically, I think I, like that what, what gets me through is that I really love the horror genre and so i go in and i've got precedent for everything i'm saying and you know i can say like well this feels familiar i've seen this in x y and, and z but you know i don't think horror audiences would be expecting this i haven't seen anything like this i i think really really go in and put forward put forward forward what you think and your your vision and don't kind of like fish around for what they want because ultimately you've got to like you've got to rewire your brain and it's hard to do this. And I'm still in the process of doing this of like, you go into a room and your objective isn't to like win the job or like win the, win the conversation. It's like, you're, you're, you're going there. And if you trust your, if you trust yourself in your own taste enough, you're going in there, you're putting forward your perspective. And if it chimes with theirs, 
that's great. And then they're the right partners to make the movie. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. It's not, you're not going in there to kind of like bend over backwards to tell them what they want to hear because you'll just end up fucking yourself later on. It's like, you've really got to respect yourself enough to go in and say, no, this is this is how I see it. And uh, I'm going to go in and kind of confidently put that forward. It's always, it's always the best policy. And I've always won more jobs doing it that way. What a brilliant answer. Uh, Rob Savage, thank you so much. Do come back on and chat to us about The Boogeyman and maybe we'll have a bit more time then to do so. I'd love that, mate. Right. Take care, buddy. All the best with the rest of it. Speak soon. Bye. So that was the rather brilliant Rob Savage. You've got to admit, he's cool, right? Uh, wouldn't you all like to work with him? Yes, we would. And two people who have worked with him and do work with him in many collaborative ways is, of course, uh, Gemma Hurley and Jed Shepard, who we're going back to now for part two of their chat with myself. In this section, we talk about the creative process, what it's like working as a team of equals, how to write a found footage film, and what makes horror different to any other genre. Like I say, the movie is out. June the 3rd, do watch it in cinemas. You'll love it. And I hope this inspires you. I hope you go out there and do the same. You can do it too. You really can. Keep believing in yourself. If you've not made films yet, do believe in yourself. If you're already making films, you know how hard it is to get the next one made and the next one. Keep believing. Keep believing in your projects and keep believing in yourself and the team around you. It's really important. And do get in touch. If you need support, you need help with anything, do get in touch. That's what we're here for. So here it is, uh, part three. Sit back, relax, enjoy, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome hey. back. Oh, hey, girls. Yeah, so we were talking creativity and how you guys sort of create and work together. And you know what I, what I really love is that in all the interviews I've ever heard of you guys and Rob and anyone else talking about this film, you're all mentioned. It's never a, oh, this is Rob Savage's project. Oh, this is a Jed Shepard project, Gemma Hurley project. This is a, oh no, collaborative. And it, even if someone says, oh, how was it directing? They always mention you. And I love that. I think that's so nice and so like enveloping and, you know, putting your arms around each other and saying, no, no, we did this together. It was, it was a team effort. And OK, I might have done more of that. Jed might have done more of that. Gemma, more of that. But I thoroughly think that's wonderful and what a wonderful combination. I mean, that must feel nice for one. But also, how is that when you're collaborating? Is is it because you know each other so well now? And I know, Gemma, you're slightly newer to the group. I say that now it's like three years, so yeah. not anymore. But how is that creating stuff? Because I know you're doing stuff on your own as well. But talk me through that creative process. I think it's quite rare that a team of people are unknown, especially out of the UK. I always have to bring it back to the fact that we're out of the UK. You don't see horror filmmakers kind of poke their head above the wall and say, hey, we're, we're here, we're filmmakers, we're making horror, and it's doing, doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact all of... I think it's almost like a novelty for the world that this team of friends got together and made something so big. So I think that's one of the reasons why we're always in, in, in conversation. And Rob's, Rob's always very gracious and, and mentions, mentions us in, in interviews because these two films have been very collaborative. They are the work of not just the writers, not just the director or the producer. It's, it's a work of everyone involved, um, especially the actors. So, that's why Annie's so important to the mix as well, and and she and Amma as well. They they brought something that you can't write. You can't write. Mm. They just have to have the natural skill to be able to like work together and and create something that feels authentic and and interesting. Yeah, I mean, just to echo uh, what Jed said, I think it is so nice that we, you know, as a group, we are sort of called out in a way that it's quite rare generally for film, like film is a director's medium, you know, mm -hmm. like how many writers can you list off the back of your hands? You can list a million directors and I'm not saying that that's good or bad. It's just like, for some reason, that's the way the film industry seems to be. So it's, and I think the fact that it's been uh, different on host and dash cam um, just speaks to the fact that both of these films are just like very unusual in the way that they came about and the way they were made. Um, like, you know, there was no traditional script in any sense of the word for either film. They were both sort of made over Zoom with all of us just trying to make each other laugh as much as possible and trying to gross yeah. each other out. Um, and, you know, out of, the, out of that process, um, we made these scriptments, which for if people don't know, it's like a really long bullet point of list of things that are going to happen in this movie and try, try to give the filmmakers any kind of structure of what to do before they have to bloody go off and film it in a couple of weeks, which is just not 
it's not heard of. That's not how you make. That's not how you're supposed to make a film. Um, and this film broke all those rules. And I think um, the fact that people are hopefully getting the credit they deserve, like across the board in, in this film, like um, it speaks to that. And we got we got the the scriptment kind of idea, the format from the Blair Witch Project. Obviously, I think we've talked about it in previous things. That's what they had. They, that's mm-hmm. what they use, and they are the best, the highest return on investment film of all time. But also, the for my money, the, the best found footage film, probably the best horror film um, of all time. And why would you not use the blueprint that they they set out? So that makes sense. Because one of the, uh, Jim, I don't know about you, but one of the the, the biggest questions or the most ask questions I get is like how do you even write a found footage film yeah like it's it's difficult it's it's, it's not a normal process you can still use final draft which which we did thank you final draft for giving us all a free copy of final draft 12 sponsored by <laughs> yeah. final draft <laughs> they're great they're great yeah. by the way so you can still use regular software that everyone else uses but you just have to think about leaving spaces for the actors to be able to breathe and, and to do things mm. that feel natural um, and that's why you have to cast right and you have to have a team around you that understands the subgenre obviously with the host uh because it's the same team as host they obviously understood the the subgenre so it was easy easy to do on on dashcam the thing about found footage films and i think the the fourth writer in this film is someone who hasn't been mentioned yet is Brenner, our editor because really like the person mm. who puts the script the final script together is is the editor because it's, it's it's a film that is made you know more than any other kind of film at every single stage because we can plan for the best but you don't know what's going to happen you turn up on set rob doesn't yep. know the actors don't know um and you have to be very nimble and improvise and things change and it's just that kind of process and being able to accept that and kind of roll with it, I, I guess. So in the very real sense, like this is everyone's film, not just one person's. Mm, which must feel really nice. Like you say, writers often don't even get mentioned in the, you know, the, hey, well done for making the film. So it's really nice that you guys are collaborative like that. So let's talk about that sort of blueprint then. Let's talk about that um, creativity and sort of chucking ideas in the mix. How does it work? You know, like you said, Jed, which is really good. It's almost what, how do you put your finger on what a great found footage movie is and how do you write one? But you guys have done that twice now. How, in your mind, did it work when you were just putting ideas together? Talk us through that process just a little bit. Do you just all go, right, now we're going to talk about this, chuck ideas in? One thing I've got to say is because of how fast we've done this, people might assume it's it's easy, but if you think it's decades of 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 research and and, and watching horror and and knowing hor- horror, all of that culminates in these two weeks or something that we that we wrote dashcam, and so all the experiences that we have like uh, culminate. And and what we do, we basically we had the rough structure in in our previous version, but then we were just pitching each other ideas, and just whatever makes us laugh the hardest or gr- most grossed out that goes in. And uh, I was just saying that someone else that during host uh, it was it was me and rob pitching each other like crazy ideas and, and gross ideas and Gemma Gemma was the one that was going maybe dial it down a little bit thinking more about the characters yeah, guys exactly Character then, arc here. Yeah. exactly <laughs> but in dashcam in dashcam it was the other way around where where Gemma was coming up with the most grossest things that I wouldn't even be able to think of and I was just like I mean Rob would just be like Gem you've gone too far like, <laughs> she's gone the complete opposite direction which I'm very proud of that we, we that we've broken Gemma which <laughs> is great congratulations oh I started out in this industry wanting to write for Disney that's never going to you guys have broken me like and now it's uh, dripping shit from areas that you're like why is this happening yeah not you in the film <laughs> oh my god um, yeah i mean that, that i mean that's such a good that's such a good point like i ha- i don't even know how we make these films we i think i think that we were able to make these films because we had freedom i think if we tried to set out to make a film that was like oh this is how we set out to make a found footage film and follow the formats of previous found footage films and try to evoke them literally in like you know a structural way or like using the tropes i think um we would have failed but what we tried to do is just like look we can do whatever we want and maybe we'll get away with it so let's just have fun and that just gave um so much oxygen and uh, and joy and authentic authenticity really um mm. to these films which could have very easily been derivative and if they if we tried to enforce something on it i suppose you are so you are so right because i think oftentimes people 
people would look to what's popular now and it would have been the easiest thing in the world for us just to do host two. It would have just been so mm-hmm. easy to go, okay, the girls are back again somehow. Yep, um, yep. <laughs> Bigger budget. Well, hey. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But but we didn't. And we 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 didn't lean on tropes from other uh, found footage. We didn't even lean on the tropes we've established in host. We went somewhere different because we're always trying to push the bar and it may not be in the direction that the vast majority of people want it in but it's the direction where we think it will push the genre and and make people question and because i always think horror is the only genre where you can ask difficult questions where you can put the audience um, in a headspace that they are not used to and they're not comfortable with and that's the true horror it's not what you see in screen but it's what you leave the cinema thinking what's in your head because if people even for a second empathize with some of the stuff that Annie does, we've won because it makes them think about other people. Because we sometimes live in our own little bubbles where whatever we think is is correct. And anyone who has a different opinion, different opinion is is wrong and they're the enemy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just gotta think, hey, they're people too. Like let let's all have a discussion. Let's put this out into the open and discuss these things instead of pushing people away like they're the, the enemies. They're not the enemies. Mm-hmm. We're, like they're they're humans too. So I think there is an, an element here where again, like Gemma says, we have freedom to explore areas that I think in in British horror, especially in, in found footage, ha- haven't been explored yet. Mm-hmm. Can I jump off on that? Because I think that's that you, the crux of it there, Jed, that is such an important point. This was a movie that was challenging and uncomfortable in some ways for us all to create as well. It wasn't like, mm-hmm. a, I know I said it was a bunch of fun and we were all laughing. It was it was a personally challenging film because, you know, we've probably, I don't think I'm alone. I think we've all had experiences over the past two years, especially when we've all been locked down and lots of shifts have happened in our society where that's put us in conflict with the people that we love the most or people we care about, like whether they're family or friends and um, choosing the choice to put a character who is the hero or the anti-hero who has views that I don't necessarily personally agree with. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people don't like that was like, it it kind of forces you to kind of how I'm not saying like you come away with this movie and be like, Oh, like, I love Donald Trump now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, de- that's definitely not what we're not? aiming. Like, <laughs> I thought everyone did. We're not, it's not a movie that sets out to go, Oh yes. All of those, those people with those horrible views or whatever are, are correct. And I don't, mm. you know, that's, this isn't a film about anti-vaccine. This isn't a film about Donald Trump. It's, it's a film about being kind of uncomfortable and unsafe with the world opening up again. And that's kind of what it's tapping into. And we had to kind of go there ourselves doing it and you know and hopefully if you come out of the end of the film like maybe you might not have demonized or put your own uh judgments incorrect judgments on someone like Annie Hardy that you might have going into it I guess and that that's all it really is really she's not a she's not a demon yeah totally agree there's a reason why she's like there's a reason why she's got those opinions but that like I say normally you people say write what you know write what appeals to you and heart and they say it's challenging and difficult because now you've got to write or create something with something you don't necessarily believe in your life choices that's fascinating because she's like you say it opens your mind to go oh okay well now i need to still think about this character i still need to think about the arcs but it's not necessarily what i think yeah and then, then there's a kind of like um people assume and it's interesting people say mm. oh I, we want you to punish her like i i I, she, I want i want her to be like you know I'm not going to give any spoilers about what happens to her at the end, but like mm. you go into that going, oh, she's the bad person. She must be punished. I think right. that's such an interesting facet of how we've been trained to watch horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, it's like, how can you tell that story in a new way? Basically, how can we put people in an uncomfortable place to like, not, you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily challenge your views on vaccines or anything like that. Cause I, that's the last thing I want to do necessarily, but yeah, to be uncomfortable. Basically. Mm. It's something I mentioned at the start about her as the character, and then you're following someone who is essentially unlikable. But then, you, for me, I couldn't help but like her and want her to do well she's in whatever. Funny. It, she's yeah. really funny, really funny. The end raps are just brilliant. I was like, oh yeah. god, some of the crew on this. It's not spoilers <sighs> to talk about this. It's like some of the crew has been going, oh god, what's she going to say about me? My parent, my parents might watch this. Oh yeah, <laughs> me like, and Jed got a fun one. Jesus, yeah, like 
Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, when I first watched it, I was just like, "What did she just say about me?" Because because I asked, I, I said to her before, "Okay, so like, what are you gonna what are you gonna say?" She's like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna rap about you in, in these credits." Okay, what are you gonna say about me? Don't worry, it's all good. It's all good. No, and then I watch it. Good. And I watch it for the first time, and it's just like, "What am I? What what am I gonna do? What, what? have I just done?" Did yeah. I do that? Yeah, my, my agent messaged me going like, do you know that she says this about you in the film? And I was like, yeah. it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> like, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. disclaimer at the bottom, none of this is true. What do you <laughs> yeah. No, but like, again, like I've known Nanny for a very long time. Yeah. Um, outside of Dashcam and she's she's one of the sweetest people ever like I said she drives around LA giving food to homeless people like that she is so unlike her character in in Dashcam obviously there are facets that are similar but she is such a sweet person like Mm -hmm. actually I saw I saw her in uh, a few months ago when I was in in LA I I stopped by her house and there she is just like since I go through the door she looks after me gets me a drink she 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 puts on a little gig for me as well she had a whole band ready then for a little gig for it was so sweet wow yeah that's so lovely <laughs> yeah, i love that it's really nice. really nice. and, and how was sort of her as that person so obviously she hasn't necessarily acted before but a lot of her stuff is acting within that how was it to say to her hey cool you're gonna star in this film we're gonna do it about a show that you created you know with the car how was that and was it she was fine to go yeah of course i'll just act my way through this how when you approached her about it to do it was that ever an issue I think there's a level of trust, not just between Annie and Rob and Annie and, and us, just with, with everyone involved with the film, there's a level of trust. Um, and I think that has evolved over time because obviously we had a very successful film with Host and the level of trust becomes almost like impeachable. Like we we, we, we trust each other. We know we're doing things for the right reasons. So I, again, I've known Annie for almost a decade. So if I say that this is going to be fine, it then she would she would agree to it and i think she comes out of it again there, there's going to be people that feel that she's very abrasive and that's what we want it's it's you're not meant to feel comfortable with some of the stuff that she does but i hope you are able to see another side of someone who you would usually ignore yeah she, she's just a really sweet person and she's so talented as well and just the, the amount of things she has to do in this mm-hmm. is, is unbelievable the amount of stunts she has to do the amount i know she had a stunt double she raps about in the end credits but it, it's still the amount of stuff she has to do i was like oh my god this isn't you know that's tra- someone who's trained as a long time as an actor and been on set so many times still finds difficult and i was like she's throwing herself into some of these stunts you know and the stuff in the cars like Oh my God, you know, it's a much bigger spectacle. Yeah. And how was it, Gemma, then in terms of the, working with Blumhouse and their creativity and coming back with notes when you guys were all sitting around coming up with ideas? How was that? What was their involvement like? It was quite few and far between, wasn't it, Jed? And it was all, mm-hmm. um, Rob was kind of fed back to us what um, Blumhouse uh, said, but it was very minimal because um, right. A, it was like such a short, you know, turnaround. It was like, you know, we started developing this in September 2020 and they were shooting in November. Oh, wow. Um, you know, yeah, that's really quick. It was, um, you know, and um, so there wasn't really much time for for feedback and notes and stuff like that. And I think they had like a one or two that were like, yeah, that's actually helpful. Thanks, mate. That's how I remember it, Jed. Yeah. Like, I- <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks, Blumhouse, for that. Cheers, Cheers guys. Cheers, Jason. <laughs> Cheers, Jace. You know what you're doing. Yeah. I, I think there's a level, again, that it, because of host, there's a level of trust there. And yeah. and obviously they they, they saw the, the different cuts that came in. And ultimately, is it a successful found footage film that mm. can fit amongst the other Blumhouse movies and also alongside host? And yeah, it it, it does. It Does it do something different to the genre? Yes, it, it it does and I don't think there's ever going to be another film like it again unless unless Blumhouse made Dashcam 2 which <laughs> Dashcam Tokyo or something Tokyo Drift which I'd be up for Dashcam uh, Adrift mate Dashcam yeah. Adrift yeah yeah <laughs> on a boat on a boat yeah, yeah. So, yeah in the, that's Dashcam to all kinds of vehicle yeah there we go we're, we're writing it here guys we're doing yes. it so right okay and <laughs> I love it oh, I, I will say um, if you are thinking about watching Dashcam Definitely try and catch it when it's in the cinema. Um, it, it's coming out on uh, VOD um, a few days after. In some places, day and day and day. But if you can go to the cinema and watch it, because watching it with a with a with a live audience is such a incredible uh, feeling. So yeah, I know I know me, me and Gemma uh, really enjoyed it the, the couple of times we, we saw it on the big screen. So I'm definitely gonna go watch it again myself. 
on the big screen. Yeah, no, I think totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, it's June the third. It is out in cinema. So then it's probably the fifth or sixth. It's out on VOD. Something like that. Yeah. Links to it will be in the show notes. But do check it out in the cinema because it is one of these films. It's not over long either. So therefore, you can just immerse yourself in this wonderful world and yeah, and get involved. Go and see this in a cinema, like because you know we've been desperate to go to the cinema and see a batshit movie for ages and we haven't been able to. This is your chance to go and have a freaking experience that's going to blow your mind uh, with your mates and maybe a beer. <laughs> Definitely afterwards. If you're allowed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're allowed. I think it's probably an 18 rating on this yeah, anyway, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It is. An R in America. Right. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah it's good. Now you can die happy. Yeah, you die happy. Yeah, go see Dashcam. Well, you, listen, you you take care, both of you, and I, I look forward to having you both on for the fourth time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Dashcam Adrift. The Dashcam yeah. Adrift. Uh, yeah, Dashcam Adrift. I love it. Two Dashcam, too furious? No. Um, Wait, if it's on a boat, it needs to be called Splashcam, surely. <laughs> Splashcam. Surely. <laughs> surely. Yeah, I like that. It could be a Sharks involved. This yeah. be, right? Mermaids with teeth. Mermaids yeah. with teeth. Yes, footage. Mermaids with teeth. Yeah. <laughs> it's based on fact. Yeah. <laughs> uh, brilliant, guys. Thank you so much. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can make it on your iPhones. You can make it on whatever cameras you can get hold of. Be creative. Find people you want to work with, just as Jed and Gemma and Rob have done, and go out there and do it. Great make stuff you can do it think outside the box and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you all next tuesday as always take care thanks jed shepherd happy speakies everyone thanks jim early happy speakies <laughs> is that trademarks now have you not got a new hashtag for this no, one we, we <laughs> That's it's probably hashtag. like fuck you bro or something fuck like you, that bro. i don't know yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not quite as oh we do the rap between you two at the end oh. Yeah, no, the, no, the, no, she no. does. Oh god! Enjoy the butt buffet. Yeah, <laughs> enjoy yeah, the enjoy butt the butt buffet. buffet. There we go. Enjoy the butt buffet. All right, that's it. We're doing that. All right, take care, everyone. Buffet. Why are we waving? Because <laughs> oh, we do we wave. It's a podcast. People know we're waving. <laughs>